Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. John Emery Jr. says the NFL can wait and decides to come back for another season, his senior season. Good news for Brian Kelly and his staff as the running back room gets a little bit stronger and a little bit deeper. And is it good news for John Emery? Can he finally break through and be the guy that everyone thought he would be when He became the highest signed running back prospect since Leonard Fournette for LSU. That remains to be seen. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. I'm joined by Miss Hannah Five Names, the producer extraordinaire. And we're going to be with you the next three hours. We got some good stuff lined up for you. We're going to talk... SEC basketball, Adam Spencer is scheduled to join us from Saturday down south. We're going to talk Sean Payton nonsense. Where is he going? When's it going to happen? When are the Saints going to make moves on their own staff? Is Pete Carmichael going to stay? Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us this morning as well. And we'll talk all things LSU with the mad dog, Ron Higgins the award-winning columnist from Tiger Details. Those are our three guests that we have lined up for you today. Of course, we're going to touch on a plethora of different issues. NFL playoffs, McNeese, Louisiana basketball. We have our foodie poll question of the week, which we'll unveil a little bit later on this morning. And you know we love to hear from you. Hotline is always open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off about the news concerning John Emery Jr. He had until Monday to enter his name into the NFL draft. He opted to not to go to the draft. Instead, he's going to run it back and come back to LSU. On the surface, this is a good thing. Not, not even on the surface. This is a good thing period for LSU because you have a talented running back that's opted to come back for his senior season. You can still pair him up with the other guys that you have back there, your recruits, and it helps you with your depth and you have a quality running back back there. So this is a win-win for LSU. For John Emery, he needs to come back for another season. Could an NFL team maybe had drafted him this year? Maybe. Maybe. Is there enough film on John Emery Jr.? Is there enough highlights in that film package? 
is there enough tape to show NFL teams this is a guy that is committed, that is talented, and that is going to be able to get the job done. And I don't know if an NFL scout could say that. John Emery Jr. was the most highly touted running back signee for LSU since Leonard Fournette. He was supposed to be the next great LSU tailback. It just never has happened. He had to sit out all of 2021 for the academic issues. And he missed the first two games of 2022. He did have 370 rushing yards this season. When he came back, he became a viable option out of the backfield. Rushed for 370 yards on 76 attempts. He averaged 3.21 yards a carry. That's good. Here's the problem. He had to split carries with former walk-on Josh Williams, Armani Goodwin, and Noah Kane. So, okay, he has some talent. Okay, we've seen flashes, but we've never seen him be in, we've never seen John Emery Jr. be consistent. He was a high school All-American. We've never seen him be consistent in college. So Brian Kelly and his staff, they get a talented guy that knows their offensive system, already has a good rapport, has some pretty good chemistry, has something to prove as well. That's the other part of this. John Emery Jr. should go into this offseason, into spring football and fall camp with a chip on his shoulder. I got something to prove. I'm finally going to prove all the doubters wrong that I'm not one of the bigger recruiting busts in the last 10 years. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity that's being provided to me, and I'm going to prove not only do I belong at LSU, that I belong in the SEC, that I belong on Sundays in the NFL. He's going to have that opportunity. Once again, this is less to do with LSU. Because they already had Jane Daniels coming back. He decided to come back. They had some other guys decide to come back. They have some nice pieces on offense. Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., tight end Mason Taylor. And five of the six guys who got the most playing time across the offensive line. So they have a pretty good core coming back, and John's going to be part of that. But if John wasn't going to be part of the running back room, would it matter? Would it actually matter? And that's the question that's out there. Would it actually matter? Because at running back, they're going to have Williams, they're going to have Goodwin, they're going to have Kane, are all expected to come back as well with Emery. So is it going to be running back by committee? Or was that only done because John wasn't available for academic issues? Was that only done because Brian Kelly was still trying to find himself as the first-year head coach of the LSU Tigers? 
and wanted to see, okay, let's try all these different guys. And no one's really seizing the opportunity to be the feature back here at a place that churns out feature backs for the NFL. All those guys are coming back. And during this recruiting cycle, Brian Kelly added four-star running backs Caleb Jackson and Trey Holly from the high school ranks. So the backfield is going to be immensely crowded. That's great. Competition breeds greatness. These guys are going to go at it during spring football or in fall football, fall camp. They're going to get better. They're going to fight. That's great. I love a crowded personnel group. I love a crowded room because it makes everyone else better. It's great. But Williams is expected to be the lead back for LSU. That's the role that he eventually grew into. So John Emery's going to come back to be the number two. Okay. Once again, he has shown flashes. He's got the size. He's five foot 11, 220 pounds. He's from Destrahan. He's a state kid, right? A Louisiana kid. Comes to LSU. All-American, top-rated recruit. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He has explosive speed. But he's only played in 19 games in his LSU career. 19. That's it. 566 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. In 19 games. That's it. Not knocking the kid, but has he lived up to the potential that came with the hype when LSU was able to keep the in-state prospect at home? No. He's always had to split. He's never been the guy. He just hasn't. Last year was a step in the right direction with the six rushing touchdowns. Absolutely was a step in the right direction. But we heard former coaches on the staff. Ed Orgeron said this. I'm waiting for someone to seize. Seize the role. Who wants to be the feature back? John Henry didn't do that. He didn't do that. He had an opportunity, multiple opportunities to do that. Now, injuries can happen, and maybe they go through spring football, and maybe they go through fall camp, and he and Williams develop to the point where Brian Kelly's like, man, we got we got two great running backs here. We're going to run the football even more in 2023. Where both guys can have monster seasons. That could happen. Josh Williams could get hurt, and then the lead running back position could open up for John Emery Jr. But this is more about John having something to prove here. Probably through back channels, he had NFL scouts or talent evaluators pass along information to his representation, if I had to guess, and said, hey, where do I stand here? And they probably told him, you're going to be a seventh-round pick or an undrafted rookie, and that's the best you're going to be right now. 
why not come back to a team that just won 10 games in the SEC West? If you stay healthy, you can increase your draft stock. Because once again, he's only played in 19 games. That's it. That's all he's done. Is that enough? And don't forget, missed an entire year for academics. And two games. Now, we can argue about the merits of the NCAA punishment there. When it comes to academics, we can have a lengthy discussion about that and how it's a flawed system and how they're incompetent. Uh, And I would agree with all of that. But the reality of the situation is, that's what happened. And even before then, he never seized the role. He never seized it. He never took advantage of the opportunity that was right in front of him. Go back to his freshman season. Played sparingly in 2019. There's a reason why. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was there, and he sees the opportunity as the senior guy, the multi-purpose back, a great player on a national championship team. But John showed you a glimpse, and I think that's the frustrating part for LSU fans, is that you saw him as a backup for the national title season, one of the greatest seasons in college football history. And as a true freshman for that national title team, he stepped up. When given the opportunity, when Clyde needed a rest, or when Clyde was a little banged up that year, John Emery Jr. was the guy that they they looked to and said, hey, guy only had 188 yards, but he scored four touchdowns. So he was taking advantage of the limited amount of opportunities he was presented as a true freshman. Once again, high school All-American top-rated prospect. And people said, hey, he's just going to earn his keep, right? He's proved that he understands the offense. He's helping us win a national title. And he's one of the backups. But man, 2020 is going to be John's year. 2020 is going to be his year especially how he performed late in the season. He had that rushing touchdown against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl in the national semifinal. So he had some nice moments. And you're like, hey, John Emery, that's the guy. But 2020 never panned out for John. I remember Orgeron kind of just not necessarily calling out his running backs, but saying, hey, we're just waiting for someone to seize. Someone to step up. And it was right there for John, and he didn't. He appeared in nine games. He only got three starts. He was second on the team in rushing. Okay. With 378 yards and three touchdowns. He also had four, 14 receptions, led all running backs there. But he never took the job. Yes, it was the pandemic year, but he never took the job. So he shows you the flashes as a freshman during the title season. 2020, opportunity is there for him to take over. He doesn't. He has to split carries during a lost season. Then 2021 was a lost season because he didn't get to play. And then last year, he was part of a four-man rotation at running back. This decision is less about LSU and more about John Emery Jr. having one more opportunity to go out there to prove that he's an elite running back, to prove that he can play on Sundays. 
And if you're LSU, you're happy because you got one more weapon. But is John going to push the issue? Is John going to take over that job? Or is he just going to be another dude? Is he going to just be another dude? We'll find out. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk about more college football. One of the more crazy stories out there right now involving our good friend, our old friend Billy Napier, and a quarterback that he signed that now wants to back out of his scholarship because his NIL deal fell through. Welcome to the new world of college athletics. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Welcome to 2023 College Athletics. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw this story come across the old timeline of yours truly. Florida quarterback signee Jaden Rashada files for letter of intent release per a report. This broke yesterday. Billy Napier thought he got himself his star quarterback. Once again, Anthony Richardson has declared for the NFL draft. Good luck. Good luck. Guy's got immense arm talent. Heck of an athlete. Doesn't go through all his reads. Doesn't make all the throws. We'll see if it works out. We'll see if it works out. But Billy thought he got his quarterback of the future, the guy that he's going to be able to build the Florida Gators football program around. This is back in December when he got Jaden Rashada. Boom. Former Miami commitment. Took him from the rival. Got the star quarterback. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, happy days in the swamp. Not so much. So, nearly a month after signing his commitment to the University of Florida, the five-star quarterback has decided he don't want to be there no more. He don't like it there. Why, you ask? What's changed his mind? Well, money has changed his mind. The number seven overall recruit for the 2023 class, that's courtesy of Sports Illustrated, in the nation has filed for a release from his letter of intent, according to 247 Sports. He had originally signed with the Gators on December 21st as part of the NCAA's early signing period. The move comes after Rashada, who flipped from Miami to Florida in November, Mm. did not enroll in classes for the spring semester as originally planned. That's usually a bad sign, right? Person doesn't show up for class. (laughs) doesn't move into the old dorm. Usually a telltale sign that someone is not coming. He was supposed to enroll early for classes for the spring semester. The decision to leave the program is related to Rashada's family 
being frustrated with Florida's NIL collective terminated its contract with him, which was reportedly worth over $13 million. $13 million NIL deal. And because Florida's NIL collective decided to terminate the contract with him, now the family doesn't want him to go to Florida, and now Billy Napier doesn't have a quarterback. Now, the way this works, the University of Florida has a full month, 30 days, to respond to his request to be let out of his commitment because that's a actual document now. So that is a legit legal piece of paper. So Florida has to grant him to release. They have to decide to release him. They don't have to. They really don't. They don't have to. Because when you put your signature on that piece of paper, boom, your signature is now on that piece of paper, and you're expected to live up to your end of the bargain. And that's to show up for class and show up for practice. That's how this works. Not to try to sound like the old man, get off my lawn. This is how the real world works. This is called adulting. If granted his release, Rashada would then be free to sign with any other school as part of the 2023 class. So what does Florida do here? Because they can play hardball, right? And they can say, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. We're not going to release you. You're gonna be forced to stay here. Well, then he may just not do anything. Right? He he could maybe just take classes online or whatever, or just not show up at all and just say, you know what? Fine. More than likely what's gonna happen is that. Billy Napier and his staff are going to release him. It it will become a distraction for the team. It has negative impact on the team, on the program, and on recruiting if Florida does decides not to release the kid, right? But this is what happens. This is what happens when you have massive amounts of NIL money. 13 million? 13 million dollars? What? What are we doing here? Why are you paying recruits 13 million dollars to begin with? That's ludicrous in its own right. And we're surprised that when the money falls through that the 19-year-old or 18-year-old kid is now having second thoughts. Come on, man. That should be surprising to anybody. We live in an era now where you have to pay for these recruits. And NIL money is part of it. By the way, John Emery Jr. signed with Gordon McKernan earlier this month. I'm fairly for certain that's a big reason why he's staying at LSU as well. This is the world we live in. 
where these recruits are going to get paid. Is $13 million a ridiculous amount of money? Uh, yeah. You don't even know if the kid can play. That's like me when I hired Hannah saying, Hannah, here's a million dollars because I think you're going to do great as a producer. I mean, she did a little workforce from time to time. She was an intern. But I'd be silly to give her a million dollars, just like it'd be silly if someone gave me a million dollars to start hosting this show four years ago. By the way, that anniversary is coming up. Shout out to us. But I digress. This ain't about us. This is about paying $13 million to high school kids to play football. What? I don't have the particulars on why the $13 million deal fell through. Probably, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here. Probably because most people don't have $13 million just laying around. I'm just going to throw it out there. It may be too much. $13 million. His future had been in doubt since he failed to enroll at Florida last week. Remember, he did flip his uh, commitment from Miami to Florida. NIL, NIL money was going to be involved there as well because Miami is embracing NIL and they have boosters funneling money to the program to try to get that program started again, and they're going to do so with NIL money. But his whole arrival in Gainesville was dependent on a four-year, $13 million NIL deal he signed with the Gator Collective. The Gator Collective is an independent fundraising arm that disperses money to student-athletes in all sports. So this is essentially something that was created for NIL purposes. The financial backing fell through, however. So, hey guys, Coach Napier, RP3 here with the Gator Collective. We're committed to helping you build a winner here in Gainesville. We're going to bankroll your NIL deals. We're going to take care of these kids. That way you can go out there, you can get the best prospects, and we can hook them up with NIL money. And we hear you really want this Miami committed quarterback. Not to worry. We're going to take care of it, Coach. We're going to offer him $13 million. Outstanding. Billy Napier's happy. Great. I can go get my quarterback. Amazing. Uh, Coach, follow-up meeting. About that $13 million. Uh, we don't have it. <laughs> Can't pay your bill. So because the Florida NIL folks can't pay their bill to the the star recruit now the star recruit wants out of his national letter of intent so he could go sign elsewhere you know how bad this could be for billy at florida with this going sideways all future NIL deals involving recruits will be questioned. Other teams like Florida State and Miami and Georgia in particular will utilize this and go, well, you can't trust what's going on down in Gainesville. They can't even pay their guys the NIL money. They may, they'll make empty promises to you if you go to Gainesville. You shouldn't go there. You should come play for us. 
Billy already inherited a bad situation as it was. It's getting worse. Welcome to 2023 college athletics. We got to take a timeout. $13 million for a quarter. What? What are we doing? Unbelievable. When we come back, sorry, I just have to collect myself. That's what I'm going to do during this timeout. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about the foodie poll question of the week. It's about one of the most delicious things ever created for mankind. That's that, I'm just letting you, it makes me happy, makes me calm. Just thinking about it. I can't eat it, but it's still delicious. <laughs> That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party the pants with the pants party with pants now back to the hopefully fully clothed rp3 on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station I wonder how much peanut butter you can buy with this NIL money that's just being thrown around to these kids these days. Like, If I would receive this type of money, that quarterback prospects that have never taken a snap in college football are getting these days, or even what John Emery Jr. locked up earlier this month from Gordon McKernan, Gordon gets it done when it comes to LSU NIL, right? Six figures. For the running back is what we discovered with your research. Is that correct? $223,000. That's correct. That's six figures. Yeah. There you go. Count the numbers. Look at the exact number. (laughs) So he's going to get $223,000 to play one more season for LSU football. So that's probably what the signing bonus would be if he is a seventh-round pick or an undrafted rookie free agent. So there you go. That's another part of the rationale there for John Nair. But how much peanut butter do you think you could buy with that? A lot, right? Probably at least there we go. two years, three years mm. worth. Peanut butter. I could get PB&J, so. It is delicious. See, if I would ever win the lottery or hit it big at the casino, which is problematic because I don't do any of those things. Yeah. But if, if that just so happened mm-hmm. one day, I was feeling frisky and decided to buy a lotto ticket. I would go out, you know, you know, a lot of people, they would go out and buy a, like a yacht or a condo or a big mansion or a Lamborghini. You know what I would do? First of all, I, I would try my best not to let anyone know that I won. Yeah. That'd be, the, that'd be number one. That's key. Yeah, that'd be key. Number two. I would buy stuff. Like, I would just stock up on certain things. I'd be like, all right, 
Let's stock up on peanut butter. Let's stock up on some bologna. Let's get some freezer, stock up on some meat. Like, that's what I would do. Yeah. First first goal is to do a really good grocery run. I would do. That's epic. That's the first would, thing to do. I would give you a couple of chest freezers or stand-up freezers, and I'd be like, okay, first thing to do, got to stock up on the meat supply. Get some Wagyu. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you know, they're going to give me a bunch of ribeyes. Be like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Probably go on vacation, take the kid to Disney World again. It, that's probably what I would do. Pay off do. the house that's not paid off yet. Oh, yeah. Well, well, the wife would interject. Yes, we, we, we'd pay off the house, right? Pay off the house, pay off any of your bills. Right. And then I'd probably just take some vacations. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just me. And then I would be looking to, to purchase as much meat as possible. Yes. Stockpiling groceries is <laughs> what I would do if I came into that type of money. Yeah, you for grocery run, pay off bills. If you have a house, you pay off your house. And then if you have kids, you make a college fund yeah. already for them, so that's already set up. There should be paid for a full ride, basically. And there. then vacations. There you go. There you go. Peanut butter. Peanut I'd have butter. peanut butter. You know I have a love-hate relationship with peanut butter. Yeah, because you're allergic to peanuts. <laughs> because I'm allergic to peanuts. So you would get a life supply of... <laughs> Almond butter. Like you have to, I, have to, I would have to pivot to almond butter, apparently. No, no, I love peanut butter. I used to just love PB&J when I was a kid. I would be. I was the type of person that would straight up take a spoon and just eat peanut butter right out the jar. I wouldn't even need bread. Like, there would be none of that. I need a snack, peanut butter. Done. That's what I would do. Creamy, not crunchy either, by the way. Yes. But then, like, I was like 25 or 26 years old, I developed this peanut allergy. Now, you always joke with me, well, if you eat that, you'll die. No, it's not that severe. <laughs> when I go and eat fried chicken at a place that uses peanut oil, I, I can feel it. I-, I can feel every hair on my body. It's a weird kind of feeling. My tongue gets, you know, gets swollen a little bit if I ingest too much of it. But I don't die or anything. So it's not that severe. <laughs> All right. Just go straight to the extreme. <laughs> yeah, it's just you go straight to the extreme. You're like, are you? No, I'm not. I don't need to be hospitalized. Five names, I'll be fine. But you brought this up because you love peanut butter as well, and you actually have a preferred way of eating it. And this is what led us to our poll question of the day. And it's Wednesday, which makes it our foodie poll question of the week. So, how do you prefer to eat peanut butter by itself with jelly? And it doesn't matter what type of jelly or jam it is, right? If you like grape or strawberry, apple, or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. With chocolate is what five names rolls with, or other. And right now, 56% of you say with jelly. Peanut butter, jelly time, peanut butter, jelly time. How did I know you are going to see that? 20% of you say with chocolate. 16% say by itself, and 8% say other. Let's get to some comments. John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says peanut butter and jelly is a quick and easy meal. When you add it to chocolate, now that is candy. This question helps me with my breakfast for this morning. Thank you and good morning. John Paul, you're welcome. You're welcome. Just for you, bud. JPK, the OD, who can never just give one comment. My (laughs) man loves giving the two comments, and he does it back to back. Usually lets about 10 minutes go by before doing another comment. He says... 
PB and Jelly all the way. To those of us of a certain age, Goober was the most impressive invention of the 20th century. I'm going to bring a hot take to this. I don't like that. I don't like mixing the PB and J together. My wife, she will take the peanut butter. She will take the jelly. She will combine them in a bowl, stir it all up, Mm -hmm. and then put it on the bread. And I look at her and go, what are you doing? See, I don't do that. If I want to eat it by itself, I can eat just the jelly and the peanut butter, and I'll put it in a bowl and mix it up and eat it. I can do that. But no, it has to be on their own piece of bread whenever you make the peanut butter jelly sandwich. First of all, you should have peanut butter on both sides of the bread and then put jelly. It's peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter is the first part of the sandwich name. <laughs> but then it, one, it's too much peanut butter. Never. Because peanut butter is thicker than jelly. Never. And two, it never stays on the bread like you want it to if you put the peanut butter first because the jelly would just slide around the peanut butter. I can't help it that you're savage when it comes to eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's not my problem. Well. There's one way. There's the right way, and then there's your way. And your way is not the right way, just to yes, let you it know. Is. JPK, the OD, with comment number two. Glad to see that Hannah Five Names Foodie Poll Question ban is working out. Not microwaves, canned beans, rice, or cheeses were harmed in the writing of this poll question. <laughs> ah, but I'm the idea of it. Me and Footsie actually came up with the idea of this poll question. I brought it to Ray. Certainly an other option, which I also like and will do sometimes, it's just peanut butter with a little bit of sugar. What? Yep. I can't eat peanut butter by itself anymore. It has to be a little sugar on it. It is a perfect food. Why are you messing around? Why are you built this way? Who hurt you as a child <laughs> no one to hurt make me. you want to always make something extra? Adding cheese to red beans and rice or whatever. No, just enjoy the peanut butter. It is perfect. Does it need anything else? Does it need your finagling with it? Your meddling with it? It it's is sugar. perfect by itself. I'm not putting like mustard on it. It's sugar. <sighs> Be rad. Go down faster. Stop yourself. <laughs> B rad says on a sandwich with grape jelly as part of breakfast with honey on toast. Candy, of course, Reese's peanut butter cups. Ton says the answer here is yes. I can eat chunky peanut butter by itself. Smooth peanut butter with chocolate is divine. Smooth with jelly is a comfort meal. Chunky with jelly is a hearty meal. Smooth with apples is a snack. Chunky with apples is a dessert. PB with toast is breakfast. Speaking of. Whoa. Ton has a love affair with peanut butter. I thought I loved it. I stand corrected. Mine out to Krista. (laughs) Ton on another level. John Paul also shares a gif with the banana dancing (laughs) peanut butter jelly time peanut butter jelly time krista says peanut butter with flour and egg peanut butter cookies nothing better by the way i've witnessed ton eat chunky peanut butter straight from the jar sometimes he even uses a utensil oh ton uses the fingers into the jar of peanut butter uh -uh. (laughs) no sir oh shout out to ton for that Let's keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Oh, man. How do you prefer to eat your peanut butter? By itself, with jelly, or with chocolate, or other? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up our number one. 
here in RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Let's be honest, we tend to have a lot of fun around here at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media station. And look, if you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, I'm talking retail, restaurant, telemarketing, and everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to our sales director, Johnette Cochran, at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. That's jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or by simply calling 896-1600. That's 896-1600. Interesting news concerning former McNeese head football coach Lance Guidry. He is a Louisiana guy. He played at McNeese. He was an assistant coach under Matt Viator at McNeese. He became head coach at McNeese. They parted ways. It didn't work out. He's been at Marshall for a couple of seasons as the defensive coordinator. Well, he's coming back to the state of Louisiana. Sources say yesterday that Lance Guidry has agreed to become Tulane's new defensive coordinator. Guidry is a Louisiana native and is familiar with many of the Tulane staff members from his time coaching in the state. So Lance Guidry comes back home to Louisiana as the new defensive coordinator for the Tulane Green Wave. So congrats to coach on that. It's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two coming up. Woo, we got Ron Higgins in about half an hour. We're going to talk all things LSU. That's all on deck right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. John Emery Jr. decides to return to LSU for his senior season. Will it make a difference? Will it help John elevate his draft stock? I don't know. It's always good to have as many talented players as possible on the roster. So for Brian Kelly and his coaching staff, having John Emery Jr. decide to come back, a very good running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield, Hey, that's another weapon. Check. We're happy about that. Check. But what does John bring to the table? What is he going to bring to the table? Now, we do know that he did sign with Gordon McKernan a few weeks back, right after the start of the new year. An NIL deal, which is going to pay him $223,000. So that softens the blow about not declaring for the NFL draft. And because of John's career and the way it's gone down at LSU, the way it's developed, if you will, he was more than likely going to be a late-round pick or an undrafted rookie free agent. 
So getting the Gordon McKernan deal, getting a nice payday there, coming back, going to try to compete with Josh Williams to be the starting running back for LSU for the 2023 season, makes a lot of sense for John. And he gets an opportunity to prove that he can be healthy and gets the opportunity that he can actually be a viable option at the next level. Top-rated running back prospect, the highest-rated running back prospect at LSU since Leonard Fournette. But it's never ended up even being close to what Fournette brought to the table. John Emery contributed as a freshman on the national title team as the third-string running back that year. Got some playing time, made the best of it. Scored a couple of touchdowns, got some yardage. Even scored a touchdown in the national semifinal, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Atlanta. And the expectation was, well, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going to the NFL, John Emery's going to seize that role. He's going to be the stud running back at LSU, the next great Tiger tailback. But it never happened. 2021, the lost pandemic season, he had to split carries. And he was okay, but not great. 2021 was wiped out for academic issues. Then he lost two games in 2022. And this year, he had six rushing touchdowns. Had nearly 400 yards rushing. That's good. When you're splitting carries four different ways. Splitting carries four different ways. And all the other three guys are expected to come back as well. So John's going to have to fight during spring football. He's going to have to fight during fall camp to prove that he needs more reps, to prove that he can carry the load, to prove that the former high school All-American and top-rated prospect is that guy, is that dog. Because he's shown flashes. But it's never come together for him at LSU. Whether it was injury or academics or just kind of getting lost in the shuffle. He's never lived up to the hype that came when he signed with LSU. So he's going to have one more season to prove that that hype was real, to prove that he can play at the next level. I think personally he can play at the next level. He has the natural athletic ability and the skill set to play in the NFL. But running back is a position that has been devalued. So even if he comes back and has a better year, let's say he comes back and has his best season at LSU. Most rushing yards, most rushing attempts, most rushing touchdowns, and is their lead back. He's still probably only maybe a fifth or sixth round draft pick. Once again, John Emery Jr. has only appeared in 19 career games in his LSU career. That's it. So it's a win-win, right? It's a win for LSU because you get another talented piece back. You can't have enough of those guys. You just can't. And maybe it works out for John Emery. He gets the Gordon McKernan money, $223,000 from the NIL deal, and he'll get an opportunity to prove that he can be healthy and that he can be a feature back. And we'll see if it works out. 
On top of that, the news coming out of Florida involving Billy Napier, not optimal with the quarterback prospect. Rashada wanting out of his national letter of intent because the $13 million and four-year NIL deal with the Gator Collective has fallen through. They've terminated it, so now he wants to be gone. The prize prospect for Billy Napier's class. Now, mind you, the Gators also have other issues. John Kitna's son, who was on the roster, He's been dismissed from the team because he's been arrested for child pornography charges. Well, two of their other backups entered the transfer portal last spring. Now, they got a kid coming in from Wisconsin that they expect to compete for the starting job. And multiple reports say Walker Howard, the former St. Thomas Moore Cougar, is in the mix. Now that he's in the transfer portal that someone Billy's tried to recruit before, you need a guy. I think it's going to come down between Florida and TCU. Ole Miss could be the dark horse in all of this as well for Walker Howard. So things not looking great for Billy Napier and company down in Gainesville. It just isn't. But there was some positive news as well. Lance Guidry, former McNeese player, assistant coach, head coach, is coming back to Louisiana after spending a couple seasons there as the defensive coordinator for the Marshall Thundering Herd. He's going to be taking over at Tulane as their new defensive coordinator. So congrats to Coach Guidry on returning home and getting the job at Tulane, who, by the way, is coming off its best season ever in defeating USC in the Cotton Bowl Classic. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Daryl to the show. Daryl, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Good morning. No, um, a lot of people want to talk bad about the transfer portal, but here you go. Here's a coach who's just finished recruiting, say, half of the team. He probably was instrumental in recruiting half the team, telling their parents, oh, yeah, we're going to look after your kid for the next four years. And um, he just takes up and leaves, you know, and he, the, the parents are saying, look, you just told me you're going to take care of my kid after – for four years, and now you're going to leave. So, oh, and that's, that's happened. To think about and Daryl, but, but Daryl, I've said that before. I actually agree. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, coaches <clears throat> have been allowed to come and go as they please for decades. They'll sit there and they'll tell the kids, "Hey, come here. You're going to play for me. We're going to do this. We're going to run this offense or run this defense, and you're going to be part of it." So forth and so forth. And then in the middle of the night, they'll pack up their bags, get on the plane, and leave. Right, And that's right. been done over and over again. Tommy Tuberville made a career of it. So I, I totally I totally agree. We can't be critical of kids doing right. it because, A, they're kids, and, B, the grown men that are in charge of the programs do it all the time, all the time. So the precedent has already been set. The example has been set, a poor example, in my opinion, of, hey – you make a promise, you make a commitment, and then you decide to change your mind. So how can we be mad at 19-year-olds for doing it when 45, 50, and 55-year-old men are doing it all the time? Right. It's just something to think about before you criticize the transfer portal. All right, that's all I got to say. Thank you. Have a great day, Daryl. 
Look, I don't like the transfer portal. I also don't like coaches that leave in the middle of the night. I don't care for any of it. It's just who I am. And I, I know it's at odds with this era that we live in. Uh, On one hand, I'm not going to knock someone who gets an opportunity to better themselves financially, right? Because we all do it. Whether you're a parts runner, whether you are a waitress, an oil field worker, grocery store clerk, it, it does not matter. Opportunities are presented or you pursue opportunities to better yourself. Sometimes it's for financial reasons. Sometimes it's for quality of life reasons. I'm going to be completely transparent. I took the job here almost four years ago because it was better quality of life. I loved the opportunity. I was excited about the opportunity. But a big part of the reason why my wife and I made the decision to accept the job and come here was because it was going to be better for our family. Right? So, we all do it. The transfer portal, in Daryl's point, is, well, you can't be mad because coaches are doing it all the time. And coaches lie to their players all the time. And and, and maybe it's not a lie. Maybe when they actually sit down to talk to somebody and get that kid to sign on the dotted line during the early signing period, They have no clue that they got a job offer coming coming their way. For Lance Guidry, that two-lane defensive coordinator position was not opened up. No one thought that the two-lane D.C. job would be open. Also, no one thought two-lane would beat USC in the Con Bowl. But because of that, the D.C. got another job opportunity. So that job became open. So now there's an opportunity that wasn't there before. The only thing I ask during all of this is just for people to be honest, right? Like the coach to be honest and address the team and talk to the team. That's what really rubs me the wrong way is when the coaches don't do that. If you're a coach and you're taking a position elsewhere, before it gets put out on social media, before there's a press release that gets sent out to everyone, meet with your guys, meet with your players, and say, hey, guys, just want to let you know, I've made a decision. I'm taking my talents to wherever. Has nothing to do with this. It's just a better opportunity for my family and I. I just wanted you guys to know before everyone else finds out. That's all. That's all I ask. That's all I ask is just to be stand up like that and be that guy. Don't be don't do Tommy Tuberville and tell the team that you're committed to them, that you love them, and you can't wait to see them grow up and you know in front of you while you coach them, and then literally leave that meeting and get in get on a plane to take another job the next morning. Don't do that. Don't be dirtbag. It's real simple. Just have basic common decency. And respect for the other people that you're working with. And don't be a dirtbag. Not really hard. What I do worry about the transfer portal is this. Not the amount of money that gets thrown around. I could care less. It's the world we live in now. What are we teaching the young men? Right? 
The first job I worked at, out of college, I worked at that place for 10 years. Because I wanted to learn everything that I could, worked my way up from the bottom. It was an entry-level position, and I worked my way up because that's how I was raised. You get your foot in the door, you try to learn everything, and then when you get to the point where you do have an opportunity to get a better job, you take advantage of it, but you pay your dues, right? You pay your dues. With giving 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds the ability to come and go as they please, to commit and not commit. What are we teaching them? Are we teaching them about accountability? Are we teaching them about responsibility? Are we teaching them that life is not easy? Right? Life is difficult. It's difficult to win a starting job at a college football program. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard because the rest of your life, by the way, is going to be that as well. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. You're going to have hurdles. You're going to have obstacles in your way. What are we teaching them? Oh, well, you can just come and go as you please. Now, the NCAA is trying to change that with its new restrictions to the NCAA transfer portal. We're trying to limit multiple moves by one player. But, but what are we doing here? And look, I understand. I remember being 17, 18, 19 years old, and I changed my mind about a lot of things. In particular, the, you know, the lady I dated on and off at the time. <laughs> okay? No, I don't want to be with her. No, I do. Okay, so I, I get it. It's a weird time in people's lives. But that's the thing I worry about the transfer portal. You're allowing guys to play for three, four, five, six different schools, man. And there's no repercussions. There's no anything. We got to do a better job of making the people that are in charge of these young men be held more accountable. As we've discussed here to start off hour number two and we got to do we got to start there we got to set a better example with the guys that are leading these young men the leaders of men hold them more accountable make them more responsible for their actions make it be more transparent and then we have to figure out a way to do the same thing because I do worry about that I do worry about just coming and going as you please and not learning how to pay your dues and what the benefit is from doing that. Earning your keep. Proving yourself. Competition. Competing with others. Learning that you're not always going to be the best at what you do at that time, but you can keep working at it and try to be the best. Those are the types of life lessons that prove to be just immensely valuable for the decades that follow. Feel like we're dropping the ball there when it comes to that. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll keep taking those phone calls. Love to hear from you. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game right here. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. 
Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vaynant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's check in on the old foodie poll question of the day, shall we? Let's check it out here. It's about peanut butter. Peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time. How do you prefer to eat your peanut butter? And no, we're not asking you, do you just eat it with your fingers out of the jar like a savage? Shout out to uh, Tom's lady for telling on him. How do you prefer to eat peanut butter? That's our poll question of the day. Do you prefer to eat it just by itself? With jelly, with chocolate, or other? Right now, 54% of you say with jelly. 15% say by itself. 18% say other. And 13% say with chocolate. What Once again, why... Are your options always the one that people don't like voting on? Five names. Because you're the one that came to the table with peanut butter with chocolate. Chocolate drizzle or chocolate spread? What, 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 what? No, it's just ch- like Reese's. I gave Foot a Reese's yesterday to calm him down. But and that's a so candy. That's he a asked candy. me, do you like it with the chocolate? So I said, I prefer the chocolate than I do with jelly. Because if I don't have a Reese's, but I have a Hershey's, I'll just put peanut butter on the Hershey's and it tastes like a Reese's, basically. I see what you're doing there. You're welcome. Have a nice day. Thank you. Always. <laughs> Steve. You're welcome. Oh, don't start. <laughs> Salty Steve says, peanut butter and sliced strawberry sandwich. Don't knock it until you try it. Have you had peanut butter and banana sandwich? Yes. Yeah, I have as well. I rather my bread toasted though when I have that. That's the Elvis special, I do believe. Mr. Green says, not a big PB and J guy, but I love peanut butter by itself or on crackers. I can't bring it for lunch though. Because Mr. Green is a teacher. Yep. And you're not allowed to bring things that involve peanuts or peanut butter into schools. Including when they're having parties and they request parents to bring candy or dishes, it cannot be peanut butter. Yep. Which is something I found out firsthand. That's why I, ate, that's why I always <laughs> ate my peanut butter jelly sandwich. If I had it for lunch, I would usually bring two. And so I'll eat the first one on the bus so no one could eat it. So then if I had to, got to lunch and couldn't eat it, I would just eat school lunch and have that for the bread home. I see. John Paul says, also try peanut butter and sugar mixed in a bowl. Why, why, why are we adding sugar to peanut butter? John Paul, Cajun daddy's on my side. That's because John Paul feels bad for you. 
Ralph says there's no right or wrong answer with this one. All good options. But why is the question worded in the past tense? Are we now banned from eating peanut butter? Did I miss something? Wait, the doorbell. The peanut butter box is here. He shared the YouTube of the Chewy Chatty Pets. Pet videos I'm here for. Always. Always here for the pet videos. Tad on Twitter says, spoon from jar, sandwich with banana, sandwich with jelly, non-grape, or preserves, sandwich with steamed syrup, peanut butter fluff sandwich, marshmallow cream, sandwich, dang it. Oh, are you a big marshmallow fluff? Have you have you tried the, 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 the fluff sandwiches, marshmallow cream? I have tried the marshmallow cream. I haven't tried it as a sandwich. Ooh. I tried to do it when I was trying to, like, I made a cake to surprise Kenneth made a little cake and I was going to melt the fluff and like put it over it and then it didn't do anything. It just sat in the bowl and just kept puffing up and then going down. Cuff and going down. So it just sits in my cabinet right now. But I'll try it with a sandwich just for you. There we go. You're welcome. It took you a while to, to, to navigate. Circle around. Through, through that I- <laughs> forest to get there. But we got there. That's always. That's how my brain works. <laughs> we got there. Martin on Twitter says, wait, you mean to tell me that at Hannah Five Names doesn't eat cheese on her PB&J sandwich? <laughs> Since Five Names seems to not be able to leave well enough alone, try this. Get you a slice of bread and put you some butter and sugar on top. You're welcome. Hashtag we dim boys. The man thought that Dallas was going to lose, and now he is all on that Cowboys mm-hmm. train. Yeah, doesn't like Dak Prescott, but Dak had a good oh, game, so now he likes Dak he's Prescott. He's ready to roll. They're going to the lose, Super Bowl now. If he loses the next game, oh, I don't like Dak Prescott. Get him out of here. Brant on Twitter says, peanut butter and steam syrup. Yeah, you can't get I mean, look, that sounds that sounds pretty good. Now, now we're pretty good. Now we're pretty good. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Plenty of comments today. Keep them coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. How do you prefer to eat peanut butter by itself with jelly, with chocolate or other? Just make sure you leave your comments and just make sure you keep it clean for the kiddos. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk all things LSU with the award-winning columnist from Tiger Details. Our good friend Ron Higgins joins us. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the mad dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm just fine in Danny Raymond. How are you? (laughs) So I want to ask you. It's our foodie poll question of the week. You know, we do it every Wednesday, bud. How do you eat your peanut butter? Do you eat it just by itself out of the jar on a sandwich? Do you eat it always with jelly? Do you eat it with chocolate or other? How do you, how do you go with the, pe- uh, the peanut butter? Well, when I, when I do eat it, which is rarely, uh, I'll do the PBJ probably. Yeah, that's what I'll do. PBJ. Yeah. It's rarely that I eat it. I'm not a big peanut butter guy. Oh, you hurt my heart. You hurt. You just, oh, you hurt my heart. Uh, like, I, I should have said, you know, I really like it. I, I like it on hot dogs, and I put chili <laughs> on the top of it. And then, and then, and then, no, uh, now, it's yeah. My my wife, my wife eats a lot of peanut PBJs, so she's a 
She's the PBJ person in this family. So I got she's, you. Rep, she's representing us. She's that, there, there you go, bud. I, I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay. All right. What ails Matt McMahon's LSU men's basketball team right now? Uh, well, probably besides with having nobody really athletic and nobody really long in length and nobody who can really shoot. They're okay. They're a pretty good team. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but all serious oh, i love that it's so brutal so off the cuff he's like oh yeah they're not they athletic look, and they don't shoot well there you go they don't shoot worth a damn and and because uh they're easily knocked off their spots uh they play anybody with any kind of length and athleticism they're done and you know that's why alabama beat about 40 uh 40 and uh, and and They'll be more of the same this year, not by 40, I don't think. Alabama was just raining in threes, but uh, this was kind of was to be expected uh, in the sense that uh, you throw a team together in a month and a half and a bunch of hodgepodge of people, and you have nobody really coming back, and you just lost your, your the starter you have from last year. He just lost him for the rest of the season and probably for maybe the rest of his career with shoulder injury and shoulder surgery and Wanting Wilkinson. So, um, it's yeah, a flawed yeah, roster, Ron. I mean, that, that's look, he, he inherited a mess. He's trying to put together a team. He's got a, a lot of mid major guys on there. He, he just doesn't have an SEC roster. No, he doesn't. He didn't have an SEC roster. I mean, he's got. You got cast off galore. Uh, I know Adam Miller is a good kid. Nothing wrong with Adam Miller as, far as, a, as a human being. He may be the most overrated shooter I've ever seen. I mean, I, I never seen a guy miss that many threes. And they let they let him keep shooting because he's the shooter. You know, he's the shooter. So that's what he does. He shoots. Uh, and I just, God, the shots he throws up. I mean. He makes Cam Thomas look like he has a great shot selection. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's, not, there's not anybody. I mean, I mean, KJ Williams is a, a nice ball player, but when he, when he faces anybody remotely athletic, he, he can't handle it. He can't get off the floor. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it's going to be painful to watch this team the rest of the year to see where they can sneak out a win somewhere because. Uh, God, ranked team tonight, ranked team Saturday. Uh, Arkansas, I think it's ranked next Tuesday. Texas Tech is ranked. Uh, good. It's just, I don't see very many wins until maybe, you know, they play at Mississippi State, but that's always a difficult game for LSU. I mean, I, maybe toward the end of the year, Vanderbilt at home, maybe. I don't know. I just, South uh, Carolina, maybe they're rebuilding. They re- they're rebuilding. Uh, not Georgia. Georgia's pretty good, man. <laughs> Mike White all of a sudden became a good coach. He did, that's what happened. You leave leave one school where you know you, you just, just for years you you tried to put together the struggle. You go to somewhere else, and all of a sudden you're magic. Uh, they they they're not bad. Uh, but this LSU team's painful to watch. And the only thing that makes it horrible is you know that. Usually the next night at home, Kim Mulkey seems to be able to come out and beat somebody like 40. Uh, you see a really well-coached, well-put-together team when you when you see her teams. Uh, but, 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 that's the 
that's a caveat for LSU fans right now. They're 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 counting the days the baseball starts, and they also know that the women's basketball team is going to destroy everybody in its path. Just about. Let's talk about the women because they're undefeated, ranked in the top five. Number two, number two or three. Number two, three. yeah, they're top three now. They look like a Final Four team to me. I've seen enough basketball, I've seen enough women's college basketball where they appear. Now I know a lot can happen. An injury can happen. The way the bracket is laid out it can make a difference. We're going to find out how good this team really is when it faces Tennessee and when it faces South Carolina down in Columbia. That's going to be a huge test for them. But they still appear to be a Final Four team to me. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do. Uh, even it, it, even on nights when maybe they're, they don't shoot great, which is rare, uh, their defense is so good. Their defense and rebounding carries them, man. I mean, they flat shut down people. They just kill people on the boards. Uh, offensive boards are killing people. Uh, and you've got uh, you've got a post player who's really smart, knows how to pass, uh, who was a really, really good rebounder. Who's uh, she under? She was taught by her mother. Her mother was a great rebounder in college. I think her mother was like the second leading rebounder in the nation. Uh, I think it was University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, and taught Angel Reese how to rebound. Angel Reese is a great one of the hardest things for a rebounder to do is to, to is when somebody shoots the ball is to anticipate the angle where this ball's coming off, and she does that just about as good as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, and she understands another thing. Another thing about a great offensive rebounder is they, and I've seen this in, in the pros, even guys who are a little bit undersized. They a lot of times they get offense rebounds by merely tipping the ball themselves. They don't grab the ball on the first jump, or or they'll, they'll jump and they'll tip it to themselves. So she does that a lot too. Uh, and I, I just think I mean this team's loaded from top to bottom. They they've got a, a pretty decent bench. I mean they've got shooters all over the place. They got people who just take you apart defensively. Uh, yeah. Uh, they got a, a game tomorrow night against Arkansas. Arkansas only lost one game in the league. That was LSU. So that's a uh, that's at home at, uh, here in Baton Rouge. So uh, it's a it's a full week of home basketball. The, the men tonight, the men's men's Saturday against Tennessee at three, and the women, uh, you know, t- uh, tomorrow night at eight. So uh, a lot of stuff going on. And, and baseball is uh, uh, about th- thirty days away. And uh, LSU's ranked number one preseason, all this great stuff, all this great recruiting, and now you got to go prove it. So, uh, yeah, men's basketball, you, you just kind of like – you you hope they get – I mean, they're right now they're, they're stuck at oh, – golly, man, they're just, what, stuck at 12 wins? Yeah, 12 wins? No, 13, I can't remember what it is. They may, they may not get to 15 wins, 16 wins. I, I just can't see it right now. Ooh. It's not that they're not trying or – Matt McNair's not trying to coach him up. Uh, you can only do so much with what you have. And uh, I know this. Uh, I wonder how well they can recruit still because the NCAA still has them so-called in jail because they have not announced a probation. And that hurts your recruiting. I remember Noel Richardson telling me that he got investigated for like two years and they came up with really nothing. 
but it killed his recruiting for two, three years because just the thing, the, the specter hanging over it. Like, are they going to get sanctions? So he tried to recruit people and he couldn't get them because they're like, are you going to go on probation? And I think this, this might be killing Matt McMahon too because the NCAA has not announced a damn thing. So you got guys there recruiting wondering, well, are y'all going to be on probation or not? Matt McMahon can say, I, I don't know. So basically, I think his recruiting is 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 going to go to crap because the NCAA can't, hasn't got off their butt to announce their probation. He was probably a, expecting Ron to have this season be the probation year, right? I mean, well, I, I, I hope, you hope to God so, but what if they don't announce it before the end of the season? And then you, you have to do it next year. Yep. Okay, well, uh, you know, we're gonna you're gonna be on uh, we're gonna put you on a one year sanction in next season. Why? Because you could you could get the damn thing announced, and it's I guarantee you. I don't care if it, what he says publicly, it hurts your recruiting. I've seen it happen with other programs who, because the NCAA dragged their feet on something, whether they were investigating or they're they announced probation, because they dragged their feet, it still kills your recruiting. I mean, I mean, but that's the NCAA. Let's talk LSU baseball preseason number one. Is anything short of reaching the College World Series in Omaha going to be considered a disappointment? Absolutely. I mean, according to the polls, according to the, all the lists of the talent they have, this is the greatest LSU baseball team ever put together. Ever. Because of the transfer portal, you go pick out who you want. And they got great people. Great transfers come in, had a good freshman class. So this team is loaded. So anytime this team loses to anybody, I mean, th this team shouldn't really, if it loses more than one or two non-conference games, what's wrong with this team? What's wrong with them? It's the greatest team in history. Well, this team has an enormous amount of pressure on it. And I mean, you know, they, they can slice it any way they want. But preseason poll, number one by everybody. Uh, Three all three first team All Americans, uh, five or six top transfers in the nation. It's the most loaded team that they ever had going to a season, and so yeah, anything short of Omaha, like what the hell happened? I, I agree, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, so uh, they asked for it, they got all this talent, and now you got to go prove it. And gel it and bring it, bring all the kids together as one unit. That's the that's the going to be the big challenge as as well for this team. I'll get you out of here with this, John Emery Jr. A couple of weeks after getting the Gordon McKernan deal, NIL deal, decides that he's not going to go into the NFL draft. He's going to come back. How big of a deal is that for LSU? Because when you look at John's career, he's only appeared in 19 games. He's never been the guy, as everyone expected him when he signed as the top running back prospect for LSU since Leonard Fournette, an All-American in high school. He's never lived up to that potential. He's never taken over as the feature back. He had the whole year out for academics. And he was part of a four-man rotation this last season. So our instinct... Ron is go, hey, well, oh, oh, well, John Emery's coming back. That's going to be a big deal. He he does give the offense another weapon, but really, how big of a deal is it? I think he can be a big help. Uh, 
first of all, I like John Emery. I don't think he's a bad guy. Uh, he's had some terribly bad luck. Uh, yeah, I think he can help. I really do. I, I think he could. I could. I think he could be high in the rotation. Uh, had a couple of fumble problems this year, but he also had some big plays. Uh, look, I think he look. I think he understands this is. If he wants to play football for a profession, this is his last shot. He has to have a, a good year. He has to see have something on tape that the, the NFL can say. Well, we can. You know, let's let's draft this guy or bring him to camp. So I, I think he thinks this that this is his last shot, and it really is. Uh, look, LSU needs all the bodies it can get. I mean, especially at a running back. And uh, I, I think it's a big time to get a, like a veteran back who who you, you feel like can help you. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a bonus, uh, you know, and it, it's a bonus. I mean, of course, uh, you know, LSU lost some guys in the portal and, uh, and uh, good luck to all of them. I mean, I'm sure they, they find places where they feel like they can play. Uh, uh, all the LSU fans are just like up in arms about Walker Howard transferring going to the portal. Uh, I hope the kid does great. I really do. I mean, I don't think anybody in that program didn't like Walker Howard. And I understand, uh, you know, he did what was best for him. And I don't begrudge him or Jack Besh or anybody else. Who, who looked, I mean, I think Jack Besh and TC were a perfect match. <laughs> really. Uh, and I hope all those guys find a place where they can play. That's what the transfer portal's for. You know, I mean, not 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 getting angry that, that you didn't play, but looking at your situation realistically and see who they have coming back and see how do I fit in and, and trying to make that tough decision, should I go somewhere else or not? And so you lose somebody and you move on to the next. And the trouble, the trouble the LSU fans is they're like, you know, oh my God, we lost Walker Howard. Oh my God, but you know, you know what? He was a great quarterback, but you know what? You go find somebody else. If you're if you're a national championship caliber program, you say, okay, well, let's go find somebody else. And it happens. It it, it happens every single year, brother. Appreciate your time. I gotta go. I'm up against the break, but enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right, Raymond. Take care. We'll see you. We gotta take a timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number two. Update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Now that you have yourself an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker, you can now listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, wherever you may go. Just simply ask your Alexa or Google Home smart speaker to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. Just ask it to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you may go. Poll question of the day. On Wednesday, of course, is our foodie poll question of the week. And this week, it's all about peanut butter. How do you prefer to eat peanut butter? Right now, 53% of you overwhelmingly say you like your peanut butter with jelly. 19% say other. 15% say by itself. And 13% say with chocolate. A slew of comments we've already shared. And so many memes and gifts have been shared as well. 
So keep that coming. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesday. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, jam-packed. We got Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast going to be talking Sean Payton. Where does he go? Where does he land? Also, what are they going to be doing with the staff? Is Pete Carmichael going to stay? Are they going to retain his services? We'll dive into that in about half an hour. But kicking off hour number three, we're going to talk SEC basketball with Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We currently live in a world in the Southeastern Conference where Alabama is a better basketball program currently than Kentucky. It's a weird time. It's a weird world we live in right now. <laughs> it just, it just, that's, this is the world we live in where Alabama is better at basketball than Kentucky. Never thought I'd see that day. To share his thoughts about that and about the state of the SEC when it comes to men's basketball is our friend Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South. Adam, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. So, look, we know Nate Oates is a good coach and that he's a good recruiter. And he's done a very nice job in Tuscaloosa since he's been there. But did we anticipate him having the best team in the SEC and a team that looks like a possible Final Four team this quickly? Um, no, I don't think that this was uh, anticipated that they would be quite this good uh, this year yet. Um, you know, Brandon Miller has really become a superstar. Uh, you know, there's people that talk about how he's playing his way into the top ten of the NBA draft. and it's like you got to shoot higher. This guy is looking like a top five pick, maybe even a top three pick at this point. Like, he's been incredible he's got the size he's got the ball handling he's got the shooting he's got the rebounding like what more do you want from from a future nba prospect i mean he's just he can do it all he's been you know just he he doesn't slow down against uh, against better teams uh you know he's just been absolutely incredible but uh you know the key lately has been alabama is taking care of the basketball you know they they've in that 40-point win over LSU, they only turned it over eight times. If the, if they're turning it over less than ten times a game, they can beat anybody in the country. You know, they can beat Houston, which they've proven that they can go in there and beat. They can beat reigning champion Kansas. They can beat Purdue. They can beat. They can beat anybody if they turn the ball over less than ten times. So that's been the key to their success lately. Has been, you know, Brandon Miller has been a superstar, but they haven't been making these careless, sloppy turnovers that they were making in uh, some of their lot in, in their two losses they're having such a great season 
and they look like a legit Final Four contender. But now they have a, a, a very difficult situation where a reserve player on their roster has now been charged for capital murder. How much is this going to impact this team's chemistry? How much is this going to impact their mindset? And how challenging is it going to be for Oates to keep this team focused on the task at hand with everything now swirling around them with one of their players? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to downplay the situation or anything, but, uh, you know, this guy was away from the team. He'd been away from the team for a while. He hasn't played much this year. So, I mean, as far as, you know, being in the locker room and, uh, you know, being an impact player, I mean, that's not, that's not the case. Uh, you know, he, so I don't think it's going to impact them at all. Um, I think that we saw that they, you know, played pretty well last night. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that, uh, you know, obviously it's it's going to be on their minds and stuff, but I just, I just don't know that it's going to be a huge deal since, you know, he wasn't a key player and he wasn't even, he wasn't even in the locker room when this incident and this, you know, very unfortunate incident took place. Yeah, because he had already been shut down for the year, right? He'd already been away from the team because of the injury. So he wasn't part of the the, the day-to-day routine any anymore with the team. But it, it will be interesting to see how they move forward and, and deal with it. And a good start was last night's uh, win, as you pointed out, Adam. They've won seven in a row, hottest team in the conference. But right behind them are the Texas A&M Aggies, who have now won six straight. They're promptly second in the standings at 4-0 in the conference. They had a rough go of it early on. What's been the difference for Texas A&M here in the last, I don't know, month? Uh, you know, one key is that they're getting you know, solid production from Henry Coleman. Uh, you know, when he's when he's scoring in double figures and, you know, when he's posting a 12-8 and eight or, a, you know, double-double, 12-10, uh, 11-10, you know, whatever the case, whenever he's up around 10 rebounds and 10 points, Texas A&M is a different team. You know, they have a lot of guys who can run. They have a lot of, uh, they have a couple smaller guards, including Wade Taylor. So when when Henry Coleman is in the paint doing some of the dirty work defensively and also, you know, getting his uh, getting his work in offensively on putbacks and, uh, you know, some post play, uh, Texas A&M is a different team. And he's been playing some of his better basketball lately. Uh, so he, uh he's a key to that team and uh, when he's playing well they can they can hang with uh, anybody in the SEC and uh, they're proving that they can not only hang with them they can beat them Georgia is maybe the surprise team in a good way this season in the SEC and and White had the reputation of being a guy that couldn't coach in the conference and yet I see this team right now 13 and 5 overall 3 and 2 in the SEC. I know they last they lost their last game, but what do you make of the job he's doing turning around the Bulldogs? Yeah, I don't I don't know that uh you know, I don't know that saying that he couldn't coach in the conference was necessarily the issue. He he was a decent coach at Florida. It's just, you know, Florida measures everybody against uh, Billy Donovan and uh you know, he wasn't at that level, um, so you know, you know he had Florida 
life on the bubble. You know, they were a bubble team under under Mike White. And, uh, you know, Florida fans expected better, but uh, you know, after last year's disaster under Tom Crean, being a bubble team sounds pretty darn good in Georgia these days, and that's where he has them. <laughs> you know, he's he's a he's a coach who can be a middle of the road, uh, you know, top seven, but like not top five necessarily. Uh, team in the SEC, and that's that's right where Georgia's at right now. You know, we saw that they went into Lexington and they hung around. They, you know, they led at halftime over the Wildcats, and until until Kentucky pulled away late, Georgia was in that game. That's the kind of coach that you're going to get in Mike White. But uh, you know, that's just so much better than they were last year. That uh, you know, fans are fans are cool with that in Athens, and uh, he has them playing competent basketball. So I expect them to continue to hang around the middle of the pack uh, in the SEC. And uh, and I think that uh, as things stand right now, until somebody else emerges, uh, you know, you have to consider Nate Oates, Buzz Williams, and Mike White, the top three in some order of uh, you know, SEC Coach of the Year candidates right now. We're talking with Saturday Down South's Adam Spencer. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we look at the state of SEC men's basketball. The Kentucky Wildcats – what does your gut tell you about John Calipari and his time there? Is it is it coming to an end, as many are projecting? Well, that depends on his lineup decisions moving forward. He actually showed some uh, signs of good coaching yesterday. Um, during that win at Tennessee, even though Kaysan Wallace didn't score a single point because he was dealing with back spasms, the lineup of Wallace and uh, C.J. Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, and Oscar Shibwe, that's Kentucky's best lineup. They just haven't been on the court all that much because John Calipari is so loyal to Severe Wheeler. But last night we saw that uh, for much of the second half, Wheeler was on the bench and Wallace was running things. So, you know, I've been saying it for weeks, man. Kaysan Wallace is the guy that needs to be running that offense in crunch time. And, uh, you know, Calipari made the same mistake. He had Tyrese Maxey on his roster, didn't trust him to hold the ball. He had Ty Ty Washington on the team last year, didn't trust him to hold the ball. You know, these, these are the dynamic freshmen that needed the ball in their hands for Kentucky to reach its potential. And those teams came up short because, Calipari didn't put the ball in their hands. So if he's going to finally trust a freshman and trust Wallace to make the right decision and uh, you know run the offense, that's going to bode well moving forward, and it's going to help him you know get these Kentucky fans off of his back. But if he reverts back to severe Wheeler all the time, then uh, then that's going to uh, that's not going to end up very well for him. For a guy who's recruited and coached freshmen so well in his entire career. Why is there all of a sudden the last few seasons all this trepidation with John trusting a freshman to run the offense on the floor? I have no idea. That's that's what's so baffling about this is that you know some of his best years. You know he had when he had John Wall, he put the ball in John Wall's hands, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not necessarily comparing Kaysen Wallace and John Wall, but uh, he just all of a sudden just stopped. You know, one of his best years was Derrick Rose at Memphis. You know, so I just, I just don't, I don't necessarily understand what the what the issue is. Um, but yeah, it, it's been uh, it's been baffling to see over these past few years that 
you know, he always feels like he needs a veteran point guard, and uh, and that's not necessarily the case when you bring in these one and done type guards who uh, you know are NBA ready already. You should just trust them to do what they do. And uh, if he's going to do that with Case on Wallace now, Kentucky's going to be all the better for it. Does Kermit make it to the end of the season at Ole Miss, who's now at the bottom of the SEC standings and looks like they're in, uh, looks like they're heading towards a losing season and just a just an awful season of men's basketball. I I, I think he makes it to the end of the year, but uh, I don't think he comes back next year. Um, yeah, I, it's, they did have they did have a nice road win at South Carolina, but I mean that's a battle for last place in almost everybody's SEC power rankings right now. So, you know, I, I think that uh, that'll help the that win will help him, you know, extend his time a little bit and not get fired mid-season maybe. But uh, yeah, I think that Ole Miss is going to be on the market for a new coach this this off season. Is that one of the toughest places to coach in the SEC for men's basketball? Yeah, I'd say so. They're not a big basketball school. They're not a big, uh, you know, they're not a big uh, basketball fan base. So they don't have like the historic um, basketball dominance or anything like that. So it's just, yeah, you're going into a spot that's in the SEC where other schools are are investing heavily. You know, we've seen uh, Tennessee with Rick Barnes really, uh, really invest heavily in basketball. Even Georgia bringing in Mike White is uh, investing in basketball for them. Uh, yeah, I just, I think that there's Texas A&M bringing in Buzz Williams uh, to try to compete in basketball and paying off dividends already. Uh, you know, LSU throws money at basketball. Matt McMahon's doing a, a solid job there, um, even, even with the one in four start in SEC play. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, we're not going to see that sort of splash and uh, you know money investment from Ole Miss, and that's going to mean that they're going to hang around the bottom of the standings no matter who they get as coach. Arkansas seems to be in a bit of a free fall right now. Do you believe the Razorbacks, especially with a veteran smart coach like they have, that they can turn things around? Yeah, uh, the, you know they started they started one in three in SEC play last year with a with a loss to Vanderbilt. So you know it's looking pretty similar to that. We all know that they made the Elite Eight last year. So yeah, I, I'm not pressing the panic button yet. But uh, you know I'll be watching that game. They visit my Missouri Tigers tonight. Um, Mizzou hung around in uh in Fayetteville that was Arkansas's one SEC win so far um, was against the Tigers in Fayetteville but uh this one's in Columbia and uh if the Tigers can shake off their shooting slump and and win and send Arkansas to one and five in league play then I'll start to be a little bit more concerned but uh for now I'm I'm definitely worried and monitoring the situation but uh, I'm not panicking just yet especially if uh, Nick Smith Jr is able to return like Eric Musselman is anticipating in February. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with this LSU. Look, this is a roster that's a mid-major roster, uh, a program that was a bit of a mess and many people anticipated was going to be on probation this season, but that hasn't happened because the NCAA is dragging its feet. And we're seeing LSU struggle mightily in SEC play. What do you think a realistic ceiling is for this team this season? Can they be? Can they have a winning season? 
yeah, I mean, they're they're just starting out with a really brutal schedule. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if they lost these next two games and fell to fell to one and six on uh, in in SEC play to start. You know, playing hosting Auburn and uh, Tennessee this week is not easy. And then you know, then they go to to Arkansas, host Texas Tech. So, you know, that's that's tough. And then they face uh they face alabama in a big matchup on february 4th but after that the schedule does lighten up a little bit on the back half so i think that things could you know get pretty ugly um you know they could be two and two and eight or something in in sec play before they start to turn things around and claw their way back towards uh 500 but uh, I, I think that I think that a 500 SEC season is uh, is probably the ceiling here uh, this year, and uh, and that's not that's not a terrible thing for where this uh, this program is sort of in limbo with uh, with the NCAA right now. Adam, appreciate your time as always. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for Saturday Down South, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your upcoming weekend. Yep, you too. Uh, and plenty of good basketball on, so uh, so we'll uh, we'll have plenty to to discuss moving forward. Absolutely, brother. Thank you, bud. Good talk to you soon. That's Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South talking SEC men's basketball. There, it's still early. It's still early, but some interesting starts to the season. Auburn's been good. Tennessee's been good. Alabama's been really good. Kentucky's been mediocre. LSU starting to fade. Arkansas's got an injury. They're fading. And Georgia's kind of a surprise team. So still plenty of basketball left, but definitely an interesting start to the season. Speaking of interesting, a few years ago, my wife and I were interested in doing our bathroom remodel, but we couldn't find the right marble for the project. Couldn't find it in the right cut. Couldn't get really great customer service until we found Chris and his team over at LMG. Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. And look, they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana, but they also appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. And trust me, earn it, they will. They provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and your man caves. They also have an extensive selection selection of custom shower builds with a new line of grout-free showers. Go check out their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Go check that out today. Learn more about all the sensational services and great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll hear from Coach John Aiken. He talked to the media yesterday, had his weekly press conference. Cowboys looking to get on track. We'll dive into what he had to say coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
breaking news. Walker Howard, former STM Cougar star, LSU quarterback, who entered the NCAA transfer portal just a few weeks ago, has made it official. He is committed to Ole Miss. He will be staying not only in the SEC, he will be staying in the SEC West, playing for Lane Kiffin over in Oxford, Mississippi. He made it official with a post five minutes ago on Twitter, hotty toddy, at Ole Miss football, at Lane Kiffin, hashtag committed with an image of him in an Ole Miss uniform. So Walker Howard, you're going to be seeing plenty of him. The SEC is now filled with all the former LSU starting quarterbacks. TJ Finley at Auburn. Max Johnson, Texas A&M. And Walker Howard never started, but he was at least on the roster. Now he's at Ole Miss. Woo! What did I say earlier this morning? What did I say earlier this morning? We focused so much on TCU, but when they changed offensive coordinator and Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's little brother, went and was poached by Clemson, that was going to throw a monkey wrench into things. And Florida was recruiting. But Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin knows how to recruit. Lane Kiffin knows offense. He's the offensive guru. And Lane Train, in a matter of a week, I do believe, or less than 10 days, has poached the defensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide to come be defensive coordinator for him, Pete Golding, and now has taken a quarterback off of LSU's roster to come play for him. The lane train. What a gift he is. The perfect coach for the SEC. He's just the perfect coach. Ole Miss stays. Not only does he stay in the conference, he stays in the division. Which means Walker Howard will face his old team Every season, he's there. Every season, he's there. Now, does, does this mean that Walker Howard's going to win the starting job? No. But the quarterback position did hold Ole Miss back this year. They went to a guy who was not on the same level as the guy they had previously, Matt Corral. Just doesn't have it. And Walker... Because of the way the transfer is, he will be there for spring football, so he's going to start learning Lane's playbook. And he's now officially a Rebel. Former STM Cougar and LSU quarterback, now headed to Oxford, Mississippi. George Faust is very happy right now. Our friend from KLFY, a Ole Miss grad, Going to be very, very happy this morning when he finds out that Walker Howard is transferring officially to go play football for the Ole Miss Rebels. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, we're going to talk Saints with our guy Andrew Jude from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, also a contributor to 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home, for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. 
Houdin is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour Podcast joins us now. Andrew, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Everything's good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate you making the time. So let's dive into this Sean Payton saga, if we will, because my man is enjoying being the center of attention, uh, and he kind of always has. So, you know, I love Sean, but he's got an ego, and uh, he, you know, he's going to do whatever's best for him and, uh, you know, protecting that ego. And he's making the tour. He's keeping his name out there. He's interviewing for all these jobs. Where do you think he's the most likely to land as it stands right now this Wednesday morning? Yeah, honestly, it's an even split. I, I think all all three destinations that he's interviewing with this week. And so, you know, obviously he doesn't have an interview lined up yet with Arizona. So to me, they have to be kind of the fourth in the pecking order right now in terms of who would get him. But, you know, with Carolina, Denver, uh, in particular, those two, and, and obviously Houston, I, I think all three of them really – uh, offer interesting scenarios for Sean Payton in different ways. Uh, the fact that they're interviewing Sean Payton now means that they've already kind of loosely agreed to the terms that the Saints would be asking for in terms of compensation. So uh, I think they're all squarely in the mix. I think Sean Payton is going to take some time to do all three of these interviews, and obviously the other teams will have a chance to kind of uh, get a feel after the interview about what what their thoughts are on Payton. But uh, what I've been told is that the Houston interview in particular went really well and that they were very pleased with Sean Payton and not surprisingly, uh, he aced that interview. And, uh, I think he, he's kind of at the head of their wish list. And I think that's probably true of the other teams as well. Um, look at the end of the day, I think Houston is probably the most attractive in terms of just being a clean slate. I, I think that's the closest that you would have. And we know Sean Payton has ties to Texas. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why he would enjoy coaching a team in Houston and living there. Uh, but beyond that, you have a team where it's a blank slate. He can build it from scratch. Uh, tons of draft capital, even if you give some of those picks to the Saints, uh, just to build whatever he wants there. So, uh, and, and he has cap space. So obviously that, that that's, I think, a destination that makes sense. In Carolina and Denver, uh, those are more kind of established rosters. And, and uh, you know, you would have to maybe undo some things even. Uh, but uh, we know that those are two owners that are very motivated and would pay him really well. I keep coming back to Houston, and, and it's not that I don't believe Denver and Carolina wouldn't be good fits because I, I think they would be. And I think if he goes to Denver in particular, he'd love to be able to prove everyone wrong about Russell Wilson. Like he'd love to be the guy that saves Russell Wilson's career and and you know resurrects his career, so to speak. That that would play well to Sean's ego. Houston, though, makes a ton of sense, Andrew, because, as you said, he can blank slate. And, you know, obviously they would trade Brandon Cooks immediately, but everything else would be a blank slate. You'd have all these draft picks. People would want to come play for him. Maybe the Texans get aggressive and go after Lamar Jackson, or maybe you get a bridge guy like Derek Carr or someone like that that you can come in and try to build things up because people forget about that the – 06 Saints team yes they had Reggie 
Yes, they had Reggie and Roman Harper and a lot of other guys that they drafted, but they also had a lot of middle-tier free agents and guys they traded for, like Scott Shanley and Scott Fujita and other guys that they just were able to put together, and they brought in Drew Brees when no one else wanted him. So why couldn't you do the same thing in Houston? Uh, I think you absolutely could. And look, I, you, you mentioned Sean Payton's ego. I, I think he's one that's like, look, a blank slate is exactly what I need in order to be successful. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I, I think he is looking at this as a tremendous opportunity. Um, look, the Texans are in the top five most cap space in the league uh, with 40 million, and they have the second overall pick. So uh, you, you not only can you bring maybe bridge quarterback in, but you can make that second pick and maybe you get a Bryce Young, maybe you get a CJ Stroud. Uh, maybe if you like Levis, you get him. Uh, but uh, there, there would be the opportunity with the second overall pick to get potentially a franchise quarterback, your quarterback of the future. And uh, again, I, I think when you kind of combine that with the cap space that they have, uh, it's really an opportunity to, to, to make quick headway. Even though te the Texans are a bad team and they're kind of viewed as a team that consistently struggles, uh, I, I think – Everything is kind of set up to turn things around really quickly. And if I'm the Texans, uh, I'm going all in after Sean Payton. Because I, I think when, when you think about an ownership that is struggling to sell seats, a stadium that's half empty, uh, a fan base that's really kind of unplugged and, and disconnected and, and disinterested, I think the best way that you can kind of start to start some interest and, and is obviously to win games. But, but the quickest path to that, in my opinion, is to get an elite head coach get yourself a quarterback that's a second overall pick, use that cap money, and go all in. And, and I look, Sean Payton, he's not going to be interested in anything other than ownership and a strategy that's going all in right from the outset. So if the Houston Texans are serious about winning games and becoming relevant, I think they have to go all in to make this higher, and, and that's why it makes a lot of sense. He can always bring in Mike Thomas, too, at, at wide receiver. We'll see how that goes. Denver, Houston, AFC, right? It makes a lot of sense for the Saints' perspective. It doesn't make any sense to me for them to trade him, trade his rights to Carolina because not only is that an NFC team, that's a hated rival. There is there a scenario where the Saints would be like, yeah, it's cool that you take our Super Bowl winning coach and go ahead and let him just, you know, come coach the, the Kitty Cats in Charlotte. I, I don't see it. I really don't. I understand from Sean's point of view, but I just don't see Mickey Loomis and Gail Benson saying, sure, let's do this. I think that you have to envision best case scenario. If Sean Payton goes to Carolina, you're dealing with him for the next four or five years. And Carolina is probably, probably winning a division title or two. You have to prepare yourself for that. So the question becomes, what would it take for you to be able to stomach that as an organization, having to go up against them twice a year, lose a division to him potentially a couple times over the next four to five years? That's best case scenario. That's that's hoping that he doesn't build a perennial powerhouse that beats you twice a year consistently. Uh, but uh, look, I, I think they have a top 10 pick, ninth overall, and you start there for sure. Uh, and, and I would want to see at, at minimum two first round picks. So I, I think it starts there. They would have to pay an NFC South tax. Uh, I believe the compensation would have to be knock your socks off so much more significant than what you would expect from every other team that you almost can't say no. It would have to be a situation like that. And quite frankly, like does Sean Payton want to go to a team that's draft capital would be depleted that much. So 
that, that's another question. But I think when I look at Carolina and, and the Saints, I agree with you. I, I think that has the longest shot just in terms of the compensation that, that Mickey Loomis and the Saints would have to command for this to make sense. Uh, but again, in, in Carolina, I, I think you have ownership. It's highly motivated. They want to go all in. Uh, they were all in to try to get Deshaun Watson. Uh, right up until Jim Harbaugh made the decision to stay in Michigan, they were very aggressive in pursuit of uh, who, along with Sean Payton, was maybe perceived as the hottest coaching candidate out there. Uh, now it's clear that Sean Payton is by far the most attractive head coaching candidate out there on the market. And so I, I do think Carolina is a team that's going to be aggressive, and they may just give the Saints enough draft capital to make them think about it. Uh, and, and so then it's kind of like you, you have to ask yourself, would you rather Sean Payton in the AFC and maybe you have the 25th pick overall, or would you rather a ninth overall pick, a first round next year, and maybe some extra picks on top of that, but you have to play him in the division, and that's the thing the Saints are going to have to win. It's a tough. It's going to be, uh, be tough, but let me ask you this. Do you believe Sean Payton gets hired in the next week, week and a half by someone? I will be stunned, Raymond, if he goes back to Fox. I, I just feel like you don't do this song and dance. Uh, put your name out there in the media. Uh, leak that you might be going back to the Saints, which apparently was completely untrue. The Saints are fully committed to Dennis Allen. And you know that was Sean Payton's camp that put that out there as, as a method of kind of drumming up interest in him uh, and creating a market for him. And so I just don't think you go through all those efforts unless you're serious about coming back. And I don't think he'd be taking this interviews if he was serious about returning to Fox. So it, it would take, in my opinion, an incredible upset uh, for this to not work out, especially when you consider that he's interviewing with three teams and he's clearly the top candidate for all three. So uh, I absolutely think this gets done in the next week. Uh, and I expect uh, an announcement on which team he picks and uh, the Saints draft compensation right on the heels of that. Talking with Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Teams left and right are making moves with their staffs, letting guys go, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, position coaches, yet not a peep coming out of the complex there on Airline Drive in Metairie. Are they really going to keep Pete Carmichael as their offensive coordinator? I think it's 50-50 at this point. Uh, from what I've been told, there's kind of a full media – freeze out currently uh, that it, it's kind of, there's been a, a gag order of sorts that's been placed on uh, the saints internally and no one's saying anything. No one knows what's going on. So uh, I kind of picture Mickey Loomis and Dennis Allen in a bunker right now, trying to hash things out and figure it out. Uh, but I do expect an announcement in the next 24 hours. So uh, I, I think it's possible Pete Carmichael returns, but uh, I, I, I think the more likely scenario is, is that there, there are some changes to the offensive staff. And so, uh, I think you'll hear about that in very short order. Uh, obviously, the Saints don't want to make any announcements until they're clear who their replacement could be. And look, these things are complicated because if you fire Pete Carmichael, you have a tremendous existing staff. You just brought back Doug Marone. Uh, Ronald Curry is a guy that's been in the building for a long time. Rauscher, uh, you know, so they have a number of assistant offensive coaches. And the question becomes, if we bring in a new guy, how much of our existing staff stays and how much is this new guy going to want to bring in his other uh, his people? And how much influence is he going to want to have over the assistance on the offensive staff? So uh, I think that's something that they have to think about and navigate. So it's more complicated than just, hey, fire this guy. You have other people in your building that you have to think about. So 
Uh, but I do think this will happen in short order. And look, the Saints aren't that behind the the ball. Uh, obviously, the Chargers just made a decision yesterday on their offensive coordinator with Joe Lombardi. Uh, so you're still seeing teams uh, start to make decisions. And so I, I don't think the Saints are too far behind uh, as long as they make a decision here pretty quickly. Andrew, I want to ask you this. This team is going to look wildly different in 2023, right? There's both quarterbacks are probably going to be gone. There'll be no Mark Ingram. There'll be no Mike Thomas. There'll be no Deontay Hardy. There's going to be a lot of guys not on this roster that were on this roster this season. Do you believe the Saints, with what they have, don't worry about Sean Payton and what you're going to get from him. Just what they currently have with draft capital, salary cap, and the vision of the coaching staff. Do you believe this team can turn it around and be a playoff team in 2023? Uh, I think it's a long shot. It's difficult. I I think they have to still kind of fix this cap a little bit. And right now they don't have a first-round pick, so certainly they have to get that um, because I think it's going to be really difficult for them given the limited resources and the cap problems that they have to really make a – a big jump in free agency and improve in that area. So uh, it's really going to be about nailing the draft and, and hopefully adding some draft capital. Sean Payton, that move obviously is a big stepping stone towards that. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be difficult. I think when you consider that Atlanta and Carolina both have top 10 picks, uh, all the teams in the NFC South have more cap room. They're kind of set up to have a better off season than the saints. Now that doesn't mean that they necessarily will. And we know that the NFC South was very poor. Uh, I think Tampa is very likely to be trending in the wrong direction. It looks like they'll lose Tom Brady. They also have massive cap issues. So, uh, you know, Tampa is a team that may have to kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit. So, uh, look, I, I think this division is wide open for the taking. And if there's any silver lining here, are they capable of winning the dis- division? Yes, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, I still felt like, if you, if you discount the injuries, and you, obviously you can't, the injuries are real, I feel like the Saints were the best team in the NFC South. Now, they shot themselves in the foot. Uh, you could make the argument that are you really the best team if you're continually beating yourself? And I think, you know, I think the possible answer to that question is no. But in terms of pure talent, I still felt like the Saints had the most in the division this past season. And I think that carries over to next season as well. Uh, obviously, again, they're going to have to have a great draft class, but I don't see a team in the NFC South on paper right now where I look at them, look at any of these starting quarterbacks, look at any of these head coaches, and I say, oh, yeah, that's the team that's going to take this division. So I still think it's wide open and there for the taking. So, yes, I do believe it's possible. I do believe they're capable of winning the division next year, uh, but it's going to be a tough task ahead of them this offseason. It's going to be an interesting offseason, and and they could actually be better because the difference between this team going 7-10 and 10 and being 10-7 and 7 and hosting a playoff game and winning the division was, was essentially winning two more games. And they were in four to five games that they should have won that they let slip through their hands. So if they could figure out how to close games better this year, they'd been a playoff team. So to your point, they have a lot of pieces. And look, they, they haven't had Michael Thomas for three years anyway, right? Mark Ingram's been a shell of himself since he came back. So, you know, Deontay Hardy has not been a factor either. He's been banged up. Marcus Davenport had a half sack this year. So it's not as if, are they really going to miss these guys that weren't really contributing all that much in the last year, year and a half, two years anyway? Like, I just don't think they are. 
Yeah, that, that was a big part. The, the, the big thing about this season is some of the main guys that they invested in significantly just didn't deliver for them. Uh, Lattimore was injured after four games and, and, and missed almost the whole season. Michael Thomas was out after three games and, and never played again. Uh, Will Lutz, you know, who, who's supposed to be a Pro Bowl kicker and he's one of the highest paid at his position, uh, was dead last in the league in field goal percentage this year. Um, you, you look at, uh, yeah, you mentioned Davenport, they gave up two first round picks of capital, picked up his fifth year option. Um, and, uh, he, he had half the sack, like you said. So I, I think a number of players uh, that they've invested in heavily just didn't deliver for them this year. And so, yeah, I, I think, look, you let them go. Uh, you've got to get those bad contracts off the books. Certainly Michael Thomas would be at the top of the list. And then, uh, you move forward with what you have and you try to build off that. So, I think defensively, what we saw at the end of the year is this, this unit is still capable of being an elite defense, a top five defense. Uh, what we saw is that Dennis Allen, as far as being a defensive coach, uh, is still able to call a great game and, and still deliver a really good product on that side of the football. So to me, when you look at this offseason, can you figure out the offense? And, and it starts at offensive coordinator and it starts at quarterback. Uh, and again, quarterbacks when you don't have a first round pick and you don't have any cap space uh it's difficult to land a quarterback but let's not forget a year ago they were very close to landing deshaun watson with the same limitation so uh the saints are going to be aggressive they're going to try to find a way to be competitive uh, and at the end of the day uh, they're going to have to figure out quarterback and offensive coordinator i think to have a real shot brother appreciate your time as always enjoy your week my friend we'll talk to you next wednesday Always a pleasure. Thanks, Raymond. We've got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest on this Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South, and of course, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Once again, the breaking news that happened in the last half hour, Walker Howard, former STM Cougar star quarterback who entered the transfer portal less than two weeks ago after one season at LSU, has fully committed to playing at Ole Miss for the Rebels and the Lane Train. You can read all about it by visiting 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We have a blog up as we speak. Final results of the poll question of the day. On Wednesday, it's our foodie poll question of the week. How do you prefer to eat peanut butter? 55% of you say with jelly. 18% say other. 15% say by yourself or by itself, rather. And 12% say with chocolate. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros.